President of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, the AAM, is back on the program in this hour. A good friend of the show, uh, personally and professionally, Scott and Paul. And the AAM is a partnership established by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steelworkers Union. And for the past five years, Mr. Paul and AAM have worked to make American manufacturing a top-of-mind issue for voters and for our national leaders. And they've done this through effective advocacy, innovative research, and a savvy PR strategy. More than a pleasure to have back on the program. A lot of things uh, come up uh, since I've talked to you last, Scott. Good to have you with us, Scott and Paul. Scott, good afternoon and welcome. Great to be with you, Leslie. Scott, I feel like every time we talk, within a week of our talking, something happens in reference to what we were talking about. Do you know what I mean? Uh, More information on a trade deal. Or as you wrote for Real Clear Politics, we were talking about currency manipulation last time you were on. And you wrote a great piece for Real Clear Politics entitled Obama's Stance on Currency Manipulation in His Own uh, Words. Um, Let's talk about this. Let's talk about, first of all, so that people understand, and I've asked you this before, but I want, you know, we get new listeners all the time. What is currency manipulation? I know people say yes, to manipulate currency. But specifically, what is currency manipulation, and how does that affect us here in the United States? It's a great question, Leslie. And, I mean, manipulation sounds like a bad word to begin with, and so, it, but it, but it helps to put it in some context. And it's nothing that, that individual people are doing, but it's actions that governments take to help keep our products out of their market and to what I would say export their unemployment problems to the United States of America by making their products cheaper than they otherwise would be, and it's through an artificial way. And so specifically how a government manipulates its currency, and let's take China, for example, because it is the largest currency manipulator in the world. So the Chinese government every day buys up foreign currency reserves, and the laws of demand and supply suggest that when you – buy up another country's currency, that makes that currency worth more because there's demand for it. When you sell your own currency, uh, there's more out in the supply that makes it worth less. And so that's just the laws of economics at work. But what has the effect on the world market is that it makes the value of your own currency artificially low. Now, why would you want to do that? Again, if you're trying to manufacture products and then sell them to another country like the United States, it makes sense for China to do this. Um, But the problem, Leslie, is that all countries in the world who trade have bound themselves to certain rules, and some of these rules, you know, may may be controversial, but this one is not, and that is that, that countries should not manipulate their own currencies to gain a trade advantage. And that's exactly what China or Japan do regularly they and and so the the, the symptoms of this because you always want to look for symptoms of things so the exactly. symptoms of this or if if the country is running a trade surplus and in the case of China in the case of Japan absolutely particularly in manufactured goods is the country buying up a lot of foreign currency reserves and then again you look at Japan you look at China yes they are um, and then you can you can make that judgment and so there's supposed to be laws on the books that are designed to prevent countries from doing this and at the end of the day what it really means for all of us Leslie is that it means that we're manufacturing less in the United States than we should be and it, and it means less people are working 
in manufacturing than there should be. Even if they're the most qualified and, and the firms are the most efficient firms in the world, they can't overcome this artificial advantage. It's like playing soccer. You may have the, the best seven soccer players in the world, but if you're playing against a team of 11, the odds are you're not going to do so great. And, and, and that's what we're, we're talking about, having a level playing field. There are, there are steps that our, our government can take, and I know that we'll talk about those, to make sure that we have that level playing field. But, but in a nutshell, that's currency manipulation. It's about fairness. It's about keeping jobs in the United States of America. I want to read the president's stance on currency manipulation, as you put in his own words, and this was seven years ago, quote, your department's refusal to take action raises serious questions about the administration's commitment to protecting the interests of American businesses and American workers. Refusing to acknowledge this problem when he was a senator uh, will not make it go away. The administration's refusal to take strong action against China's currency manipulation will also make it more difficult to obtain congressional approval for renewed trade promotion authority, as well as additional trade agreements. Now, many people would say, I know you did in your piece, and I agree, that this was a legitimate criticism of the Bush administration, and specifically of the Treasury Department. First of all, talk about why this was a legitimate criticism of uh, the Bush administration's Treasury Department with regard to currency manipulation. Yes. Well, I, I don't know how many of your listeners are going to want to rewind to the Bush years, but we'll take you there. We'll take you back there and back here very quickly, so it's not so painful. But the challenge with with George Bush is that when China was becoming a, a global economic superpower, um, you, you know, he kind of looked the other way when they were violating the rules, and, and China was clearly manipulating its currency. And this is the, the 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 time when we started to have really high trade deficit with China. And we saw a lot of factories closing down and, and moving to China. And, and many senators, including President Obama, you know, wrote to the administration, begged the administration. I mean, in our few years of existence during the Bush administration, we begged the, the Bush administration uh, to, to name China as a currency manipulator, to do something about it. And they, and they totally refused. And, and the point that, uh, that, that then-Senator Obama was making is like, look, you, you're saying that, that – that on the one hand, I trust you to negotiate more trade agreements that are going to be in the interest of the United States. Uh, but on the other hand, I'm watching what you're doing right now, and you're not standing up for us. So that was kind of like where we were in a nutshell. And it was only kind of some credible threats coming from the Congress uh, that got, uh, got anything done at all. But the Bush administration was completely unwilling to act on its own to defend American jobs. Let's bring it present day, 2015. We heard then-Senator Barack Obama, now president. We heard his words then on currency manipulation. We heard his criticism of the Bush administration. Where does he stand today when we look back on what he said and what he accused the former administration of now that he is president in this administration? Yeah, It's actually very sad, but he is doing the same thing that George Bush did. Uh, He is saying, I want authority to negotiate trade agreements. I want to negotiate new free trade agreements. I want you to trust me on this, but I am not going to address currency manipulation. And he told the, the, the House Democratic Caucus in Philadelphia, he made that very statement. Uh, he's been uh, – I know he did a series of, of videos, including one for the online site Vox, and, and he also made it very clear 
uh, through that. And, and his administration, including his trade ambassador, Mike Froman, they've, they've been asked about this. In fact, they've been grilled on it, uh, on Capitol Hill. And, and they have said, mm, you know, they've either demurred or said, you know, we're not going to do anything. And, and so here we are, <laughs> you know, fast forward from 2007 to, to present, and you have you know you have the roles reversed and now when senators or when members of congress are making a very legitimate criticism of the obama administration uh, and and they may agree with the president on many things but they're saying look you're not doing anything on currency why should we give you the authority to new to do new trade agreements because we're not real confident that they're going to be in our interest and and the president say well i'm not going to do it i'm not going to, but 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 i need this authority so i i think it puts him in an uncomfortable position but, uh, but but most of all, it is like it points out that we have a lot of work to do, which is exactly what we're doing, Leslie. We're educating members of Congress. We're educating the Senate. We're saying uh, stand strong on this uh, and and don't give in. Uh, and and this is a bipartisan group. It's a lot of Democrats uh, and a lot of Republicans uh, who who represent manufacturing areas who have come together to say uh, we we got to put a stop to this. We we need more manufacturing jobs in America. We got to stand up on currency manipulation. The the president has to do a better job of it. Uh, why do you think the president has been so reticent? I mean, is, you know, you write in your piece, even restoring up a simple acknowledgement of the problems proven difficult for his administration. I'm going to let you answer that when we come back, Scott. That music means it's not time to dance, but time to take a break. Uh, we'll be right back with our great guest and yours, Scott and Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. To get the phone and join us, 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Does it bother you that President Obama, then Senator, was accusing the Bush administration something uh, with regard to currency manipulation and the Treasury Department specifically back then that he is guilty of today? back with the president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, Scott and Paul. Scott, thank you for holding. Welcome back. I was asking why the president is uh, reticent, as you write about, and and also, uh, you know, can't even, as you wrote, and I quote, even mustering up a simple acknowledgement of the problem has proven difficult for his administration. You know, why, why wouldn't he acknowledge that this is a problem? I mean, he has in the past talked about areas that he and his administration can do better. This is clearly one of those. You're right, and I, I don't know if you're a House of Cards fan or not. I am. I, I love it because it's like inside Washington. It's awesome. But yeah, it, it's a great show. So uh, interestingly, currency manipulation in the second season was actually mentioned in a couple of the episodes, believe it or not. So it's not completely off the radar of, of Frank Underwood. But, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that as an example. So the conventional wisdom, and, I, and why I don't think the president has, has been particularly aggressive on this, is because you know they, they, they get here, they get surrounded by the foreign policy people who all say, oh, we have to handle this quietly. The, the way to get the, the way to get China to change its behavior is to be very quiet about it, not to make it look like they want to be pushed into this. But you know, sometimes fiction is truer than than, than real life. And, and, in the, and, and in the case of, of, of the House of Cards, they, they played this very well. There was a, the, a Chinese billionaire who came and said, "Look, we're never going to change our currency policies unless you force us to change them." You know, the, the, it has to look like, you know, we have to be able to say to the people, well, we had no choice in this matter, um, and that we're, we're not going to go willingly do it. And, and I actually think that that's what the dynamic 
is, that in, unless we are really going to um, be aggressive uh, about the way in which we uh, are approaching China about this, and by aggressive, Leslie, I don't mean in, in a military sense, by, but, but, it, but in an economic sense and in a diplomatic sense, we're, we're not going to get this done. And, and, and unfortunately, that's what's happened. And, and basically, uh, the, the, the Chinese central bank has been given a green light, uh, just as the Japanese central bank has, to go ahead and do this. And they've racked up big trade deficits with the United States. Uh, and, that, you know, look, that, that's a data point on a spreadsheet, a trade deficit. But what it means, there's less factories in the United States. There are few manu- fewer manufacturing jobs than there otherwise would be. And the middle class is shrinking. And... At, during this administration, which which makes me you know angry, especially when you look at the former administration, uh, the U.S. trade deficit with China has reached an all-time high. Uh, that's problematic, especially because you know over the years, this president, this administration has had plenty of chances to correct this problem of international currency manipulation. Correct? Yeah, they they sure have. I mean, you know, every twice a year. Uh, the Treasury Department has to issue a report where it names currency manipulators. Like, and, and you know, if you did the math and did the calculation, you would you would have no conclusion other than saying China's a currency manipulator, Japan's a currency manipulator, and, and then that would trigger a series of actions to bring it back in line. Okay, and, and so they, you know, the, the Treasury Administration twelve times has, has indicated that that they're not willing to do that. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, you see this real backtracking and retrenchment, a part of it. And I look at the results. Look, if, 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 if the administration strategy was working and if we were in, in a lot better shape than we are right now, I would give them a hat tip and say, okay, you were right about this. It was best to be quiet about this. Uh, but, but, Leslie, that's not what has happened. Our deficit has gone up. There's still a whole lot of offshoring. And there is this narrative about manufacturing making a comeback, but most of that is simply because we've been recovering from the Great Recession. It hasn't been that a lot of jobs have been moving back from China. Uh, but we want to make that happen, and we think we can jumpstart that with the right policies. Absolutely we can, but that starts with having balance and trade and making sure that other countries are honoring their obligations in the same way that we do and our workers do uh, and our businesses do uh, every day here. I don't understand how TPA or TPP can pass without addressing the issue of currency manipulation. And the administration wants congressional support for uh, the Trade Promotion Authority and the Trans-Pacific Partnership, those trade agreements. Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, there are so few issues where there's, you know, a lot of across-the-aisle bipartisan agreement in Washington today. Um, and I will say, you know, our, our congressional leaders are kind of mixed on this. But, but there's, there's, there's a majority in the Senate that signed a letter to the administration saying you have to deal with this. You know, more than 230 uh, members of the House of Representatives. Uh, and so those are strong majorities. And so I find it hard to believe that this administration thinks that they're going to be able to say, no, we're not going to deal with this. Just expect Congress to hand over uh, literally a blank check to the administration to do this. And, and I would also just say that I think, you know, one of the, one of the challenges is that 
and we've talked about this, we desperately want to see there being a comeback of manufacturing in the United States. And the president likes to go out and fa at factories and, and, and talk. And this is not just – and so the folks who are opposed to this right now, the, 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 the Trans-Pacific Partnership or the trade agenda, are, it's not just like, you know, your friend and mine, Leo Girard of the Steelworkers and, and our friends in labor. There's actually a lot of businesses who have concerns about this, like who want to sell cars in Japan, but they can't do that, or who face unfair steel competition coming in from China. And, and so it's not only that this isn't just like a business versus labor thing. There's a whole lot of folks in the business community that are very skeptical, very dubious about the merits of doing more trade agreements without getting better results on the ones that we have already. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Scott Paul president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Follow him on Twitter at ScottPaulAAM. Follow at Keep It Made in USA and the website, AmericanManufacturing.org. And we're back. Welcome, welcome back. We welcome back Scott and Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Follow them on Twitter, him at ScottPaulAAM. Also follow Keep It Made in USA at Keep It Made in USA. And check out the website for the AAM, www.AmericanManufacturing.org. Uh, Scott, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Um, I know we have other issues to discuss, and I want to get to those, but we have a lot of people uh, that are talking about this issue with us this afternoon on Twitter. Uh, Mike says, import tariffs on countries manipulating currency and using child labor. And you say? Yeah, I said that's, that's part of the solution. In fact, a, a bill was introduced today. Well, we're making news, Leslie. So, so we talk about it, and Congress reacts. Uh, but a bipartisan group, I, you know many of them, uh, Senator Sherrod Brown, Senator, Senator Debbie Stabenow, Senator Chuck Schumer, and then some Republicans, Senator uh, Lindsey Graham and Senator Jeff Sessions, introduced a bill that would do just that, is that if a country manipulates its currency, uh, we can take a trade case and we can impose some tariffs against them. So I, And that's something that we strongly support, and we think that it's one of the solutions to this. But again, that's something that would become law, would require the president's signature, and we have to persuade the president that it's a good idea. Dino says the U.S. will never set the rules for trade. Our time of setting rules died when we bought that global economy BS. Well, there is a global economy. That's not BS. Uh, but is our time of setting the rules uh, dead now, at least in this administration, as I think you alluded to a bit earlier? Yeah, it's a really good question. And so, you know, there's like two things we have to separate. There's globalization which is kind of bringing us all closer together through the Internet and through, you know, shipping and whatever. I, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's generally a very good thing, and it's happening, regardless of whether we have trade rules or we don't have trade rules for what they look like. And so what you want to try to do is get the rules right. You know, and, and to that extent, I think the United States could do a much better job. And I would say we still have a lot of interest. Certainly China's a bigger economy than it was in, in 10, year, 10 years ago. And at some point in time, it will be a larger economy than the United States. I mean, that's just kind of the, the arc of history and the fact that uh, China's population is, is much greater and eventually its growth will be much greater than the United States and it will catch up and it will pass us in terms of size of the economy. But, Leslie, we still have, and we will have for a long time, the richest consumer market in the world. We're only 5% of the world's population, that's true, but we're the richest, most lucrative consumer market in the world. Everybody wants to sell in the U.S. market. So we have a whole lot of say about the types of products that come in here and how they're traded. So I think it's a great chance. I don't think there's ever been a better chance to get engaged in this 
uh, and, and make sure the rules uh, are, are level. I, I'm not even suggesting that it be tilted in our favor, uh, but just that there be a level playing field and that we have the same opportunity in other markets. A lot of different comments on Twitter. Another Mike says, it's all just a game, but it's the game the whole world plays. So the rules need to be the same for everyone. Do you think so? Yeah, well, well, on currency in particular, I'm just going to take this one because some people have said, well, how can you criticize China and Japan when uh, Ben Bernanke, when he was the Fed chair, did all this quantitative easing and put all this money into the money supply, and it, and it lowered the value of the dollar for a while. And all of that is entirely true, but what separates that from the types of currency manipulation that, that, that Japan and China does is that we, we didn't buy foreign assets to do that. China and Japan do. That, that's, the, that's one fundamental difference. So they're intervening in other currency markets, too. We just we intervene in our own. Number two is that a country that's a currency manipulator, by definition, also has a very large trade surplus. That means they export a whole lot more than they import. And we are just the opposite. There, there is no country other than maybe Greece, which is a basket case right now, uh, that has a bigger imbalance between the, its exports and its imports. We're, we're, we're a trade deficit country. So, so we're, we are perfectly well within our rights to suggest to Japan and China, and I, I point to those two because they have, they're the two largest economies that do this, uh, that, that there's something that we can do. Uh, and that we ought to do, and that if we were to do it, uh, it would be basically a no-cost stimulus <laughs> that would bring a lot of manufacturing jobs to the United States at, at no cost to our, our Treasury at all. Most definitely. Elefante tweets, it's strange that he, the president, supports TPP for sure, almost like he doesn't have our best interests in mind. Yeah, I think I think the president very much views this through a different prism, which is that this is partially a foreign policy tool to ensure that the United States has a role to play in in the Pacific Rim. And look, we're we're going to play a role no, no matter if we have TPP or not, because we have forward bases in Japan, uh, you know, in uh, in the Philippines, in Australia. We have uh, the the the, the, the our, our naval fleet in the Pacific. We have a lot of trading interests. We have a lot of strong interests, and none of that is going to change. But what we don't want to do is write a new trade agreement that has terrible rules in it. Uh, that's going to widen our trade deficit, that's going to cost us more manufacturing jobs, ultimately that serves against our interests, Leslie, because it makes us a weaker country. And, and that's exactly what we don't want to become. No question about it. Um, let, let's uh, move on uh, and talk a little bit more specifically about a new report. It is a report that says that the U.S.-Japan trade deficit shows that we need these currency provisions in TPP. Uh, this report completely backs up, substantiates, validates everything that you and those at the AAM and, and others are saying now and have been saying all along, right? Um, and I want to talk about what this report says because Americans need to know this. And, and somebody said to me, has a conservative taken over your show on Twitter? And I think it's important that, you know, liberal Democrats such as myself or conservative Republicans call out their president or their party when they, they don't feel they're doing something in the best interest of the American people. And this is an example of that. Uh, this report shows that Japan's currency policies cost U.S. workers 896,000 jobs 
in 2013. Now, you've talked about this number and other figures uh, before. So doesn't this show and prove this report, this number, this number, just any jobs, God, if it's one, one is too many, uh, that if, if U.S. workers have lost jobs based on the currency policies of other countries like Japan, and we know that, you know, we've lost almost 900,000 back in 2013, doesn't that prove that it's imperative that any deal, any Asia-Pacific deal, has to include the currency manipulation provisions? This report proves that, right? A hundred percent correct. I mean, it is the it is the economic evidence that I think a lot of folks on Capitol Hill are are looking for, and that I hope uh, the Obama administration considers. And I would say that you know, we, I think we've been very even-handed in our criticism. We criticized the Bush administration as well. So, but this is an area where, as you indicated, we do have a, a, some disagreement with with the president. And I, I want to put it in stark. So we've heard the numbers: the eight hundred ninety-six thousand jobs. Um, Think of it this way as well, because the biggest part of our trade disparity with Japan is in automobiles. And I, I want to say I have no, I have nothing against uh, Americans who drive, you know, Toyotas or Hondas or whatever. And, and some of them are made in the United States. But unfortunately, Leslie, we have such a wide disparity. And this is the data. This is the stat that will blow your mind. Every year, Japan imports about 1.5 million cars into the United States. So they're built in Japan, they're sold in the United States. 1.5 million. So those are Toyotas, Hondas, other other types of Japanese makes. Every year, our car companies combined sell a grand total of 20,000 cars in Japan that are made in the United States. So we have 1.5 million cars coming in. And we're only sending 20,000 cars out to Japan. And that is the definition of a closed market. And one of the major reasons for that, Leslie, is the fact that Japan manipulates its currency. And we can't sell our vehicles for a fair price there. And they're able to sell their vehicles at a huge discount in the United States and still make a lot of money. Wow. Uh, for Tokyo... Japan's uh, capital. Tokyo's currency manipulation, was this the biggest cause uh, with the U.S.-Japan goods trade deficit back in 2013 that cost those jobs and also it cost us because of the deficit $78.3 billion with the B dollars? It, it, it sure did. And you know, over the last three years, as the, the Japanese government is, is looking for ways to stimulate its own economy, it has gone out, it has bought up dollars, it has sold the yen, it has dropped the value of its currency by over 50% against, against the dollar. So, so the value of its currency has dropped over 50% against the dollar over the last three years. And, and so you certainly see that show up uh, in this data. And even though, and, and we'll all remember the, 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 the horrible, horrible tsunami uh, that hit Japan and the, and the nuclear um, the nuclear power uh, disaster a few years ago. And so Japan has, has stopped its, its nuclear program, and it's importing a lot more oil and, and, and other sorts of, of, of energy farms. And so, and so its trade deficit um, or its trade surplus has gone down a little bit, but it's because it's completely, almost completely dependent on foreign sources of energy. The, the challenge is, is that its export machine is revved up 
more than ever. Uh, and unfortunately, it's exporting unemployment to the United States. We're going to take a break in just a moment, but I want to ask you one quick question. Uh, It's not just Japan, and this is a 12-nation agreement. Uh, Malaysia, uh, Singapore um, are also countries that have exhibited currency problems that force us or put us in a position to lose more jobs and, and, you know, rack up this uh, deficit. And obviously not just the job loss, but that deficit, as you just spoke to, are, you know, two great reasons that currency manipulation has to be uh, addressed. Uh, So, you know, Malaysia, Singapore, not just Japan, right, Scott? That's exactly right. Other countries do this. Biggest impact by far is Japan and China. And I'm for trade with all of these countries, but it needs to be fair uh, and there needs to be reciprocity and they need to play by the rules. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with our guest. Pick up the phone and join us. Just one more segment left in this hour with our guest, Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Follow him on Twitter, at Scott Paul AAM. Also follow Keep It Made in USA, as we should. Keep It Made in USA with at before that. The website, AmericanManufacturing.org. Check it out during this break. Back with our guest, Scott and Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Follow him on Twitter, at Scott Paul AAM. And please also follow at Keep It Made in USA, the website. 4 a.m. is AmericanManufacturing.org. Um, there obviously is always a fight in Washington, especially when now you have a new Congress and you have a new power of Republicans in both the House by more numbers than before and a majority in the Senate. Does this issue of currency manipulation fall along party lines? And I ask that because obviously, you know, the president hasn't been doing anything about it. Has his party been pushing him hard to do so? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, and I, I was thinking about what you know how folks could feel engaged and feel like they could do something about it because we can change the equation on this. And so the answer is is absolutely that there is a you know there's a there's a group of Democrats and Republicans who feel the same way as 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 I do and as I think you do about currency manipulation that it's an issue we have to deal with. And they've been active today. They introduced a bill. Uh, they've been active uh, for, for a while uh, trying to elevate uh, the importance of this issue. And this is a very critical time. And we have, you know, we've been encouraging folks to, to, to act on our, uh, on our website uh, to contact Congress. Uh, we're launching a change.org petition uh, on, on this. And, and we think this is a critical time, and I'll tell you why. Within the next three or four weeks, uh, a, this Trade Promotion Authority bill, TPA, uh, which, which kind of cedes the authority of Congress on trade to, to the administration, is going to start moving through, um, and it's going to get introduced. And I don't know when the final vote is going to be. It might be sometime in, in late in late March or, or April. Uh, but we have the chance to make a difference and to shape that bill right now. The other reason why it's important at this time, Leslie, is that the the trade negotiators, so from the United States and all these other countries we just mentioned, like Japan, are, are, are meeting, and they're going to be meeting to try to finalize the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And so if, there's, if there is any time, and if we have any chance of getting it, uh, getting currency manipulation dealt with, uh, it's going to be over the next few weeks. And so that's why we're really ramping up efforts. We're encouraging folks to join us, and we're not alone in this. We have a lot of folks in the labor movement. We have a lot of domestic manufacturers. Uh, there's a lot of uh, citizens group. 
citizens groups uh, th that are taking a look at this. And, and we are blessed with some good allies on Capitol Hill, but we do face obstacles. I don't know that, uh, for instance, uh, John Boehner is, is – is the Speaker of the House is persuaded, or Paul Ryan, uh, who's the Republican chairman of the Ways and Means Committee. Uh, I'm not so sure that Mitch McConnell, uh, who's the Senate Majority Leader, is persuaded. Uh, but, but I do know uh, that there are Republicans uh, in both the House and the Senate who feel very strongly about this and who were willing uh, to go to bat and take on their own leadership, just as Democrats are willing to take on the president on this. It and it was senators, we must point out, a bipartisan group of senators who introduced the Currency Exchange Rate Oversight Reform Act of 2015. There seems to be stronger support of this, uh, you know, in the Senate or stronger support for real currency provisions in the Senate than in the House, would you say? Well, I think there's a greater chance to get something done. I think that's absolutely true. And, and we have seen a tremendous amount of support demonstrated uh, in the Senate before. I mean, the last time, and this is not a new issue, Leslie, I will say, and the last time we were able to get votes on currency uh, as, as an unfair trade practice uh, in the Senate and the House, uh, it was back in 2010, Democrats controlled uh, both chambers, and it passed overwhelmingly in the, in the House of Representatives, including 100 Republicans that supported it uh, in the House. And in the Senate, it also passed with more than 60 votes. And we, again, we had a good bipartisan group uh, there. So I'm confident that, that we can recreate that. And, and, but, but it's just getting it to a vote and, persu and persuading the leadership uh, that it's an issue on which they should be taking some action. And so that people know what is in this Reform Act, it would use U.S. trade law to counter the economic harm to U.S. manufacturers caused by the currency manipulation. But it also provides consequences for countries that fail to adopt appropriate policies to eliminate uh, the currency misalignment in, in their own countries. Uh, do you Obviously, these two go together, right? I mean, you know, like peanut butter and jelly, you know, oil and vinegar. Yeah, you can't have one without the other. Would you agree? That's right. I mean, we have to make sure that other countries are uh, unilaterally making sure that their currency policies are in line with what their international obligations are and what they've said they were going to do. At the same time, we have to give our workers, workers and businesses tools here in the United States uh, through our, our trade laws to fight back when we do experience job loss because of currency manipulation. And so that, that's exactly what the legislation does. Um, and, and, look, we've, we've had positive votes on this before. And, and I'll point out, Leslie, when we've had those votes, the countries that were manipulating their currencies took their foot off the gas. They stopped. But, but it's when we aren't acting uh, that, they, that they put the, the pedal back down and go full speed ahead. And unfortunately, when they do that, they take a whole lot of American jobs with them. And speaking of, over 5 million American jobs over the last decade. Uh, by lowering the value of currency, it makes foreign exports to the U.S. cheaper and U.S. exports more expensive in dollar terms. What I don't understand, and I think many Americans are scratching their head, because this really shouldn't be a partisan issue. Uh, this is a political win and job creator if you can get this done, because you can, you can reverse to a degree uh, the flow of, uh, of jobs or stop job loss. And, of course, you can offset at some point uh, this uh, deficit. We definitely don't want to be buying more than we're selling. That's right. It's about balance. It's about having good jobs. It's about rebuilding manufacturing in this country. Uh, and it's about fair play. And I think that those are 
themes or ideas that, that every American, regardless of whether they're left, right, or center, uh, can, can agree with. And, and that's what we're fighting for. That's what this fight is about. Um, this is, we're at a really critical time. So I hope your listeners will be able to engage uh, and, and reach out uh, and, and take some action on this because we're, we're at a critical point here. I'm going to leave it at this, Scott. Figmore tweets, when our government makes trade deals that we disagree, the public disagree with, we have the power to make our own deals by buying made in the USA. You like that? We sure do. That's great advice. If, if we take it into our own hands, we're going to be better off. Uh, and we need the right policies, too, to make sure that we are able to get more of those Made in America pro- products right here at home. Absolutely. Scott, always a pleasure and just whizzes by the hour. It just zips by. Thank you, Scott. Scott and Paul, president of the AAM. Follow them on Twitter at Scott Paul AAM. Follow Keep It Made in USA at Keep It Made in USA. How does one frame a masterpiece? If it's a painting, some wood and gold leaf will do. But what about a masterpiece of the edible variety? Like Boar's Head Oven Gold Turkey. Crafted from a family recipe, seasoned with savory spices and then slow roasted until it's fork tender and brimming with flavor. So, what could frame such a masterpiece? Perhaps a little bread would do. Boar's Head. Compromise elsewhere.